amen, amen, amen. Hey, God is great. That's good news, my friends. That is really good news. That's what we're here proclaiming today. His power is absolute, the scripture says. His understanding is beyond comprehension. God is awesome. He's awesome in his sanctuary. The God of Israel gives power and he gives strength to his people. So that's why we gather and praise him. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I ever tremble? Why should anything in this world disturb my spirit and inside of me when I serve Almighty God? Do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, and he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Get this now, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord, where is our hope? Come on, say it. Where is our hope? For those of us who hope in the Lord, we will have our strength renewed. We will soar on wings like eagles. We will run and not grow weary. And we will walk and not faint. My friends, that's really good news. So lift up a shout of praise to the Lord for all that he is, all that we have in him. I am jacked up right now. I could fire into that, the mountain shake before you thing right now again. Just wait. Go ahead and have a seat. You guys thought I was going for it, didn't you? (laughs) Uh, We will later. Whew. What am I afraid of? Nothing. What am I nervous about? I've got God Almighty on my side. I have nothing to fear. But I'm afraid of this morning. This morning, this message is going to be awkward for me. and probably will be awkward for you. And I'm a little nervous and have been. Been awake most of the night. praying, asking God for strength, and I'm asking God for favor. If you know what I mean by that, um, we have a lot of questions right now. And there's a lot happening in our world right now that is causing major division, and we're seeing that division come into the church of Jesus Christ. And we need to address that. And right now in our world, we don't know what to think. We don't know what to believe, and we don't know who to believe. 
so that we can figure out how we're supposed to live in all of the stuff that is swirling around us. And we've been in the book of James, and it's no accident that God decided last year at this time that we should be studying the book of James right in the middle of what's happening right now. Because what James is addressing, and we have been working on for weeks, is how are we supposed to live in a crazy world? What are the foundational things that we are supposed to be applying to our hearts and to our lives so that we can successfully live? Because if you remember... The early church in Jerusalem was who James was writing to. He was writing to a bunch of people who were like, yes, I finally found peace in this world and they are reborn with the love and grace of Jesus Christ, their newfound faith. Everything now makes sense. And then persecution hits because of a wicked government and because of wicked religious leaders who were trying to, because they wanted to control, they wanted the power to squelch this new life that they were seeing coming into people's lives. They're all excited about their new faith and they're sharing their new faith just like new believers are supposed to, like old believers are supposed to. Because old believers know so much more about what's going on than young believers. So more than ever, the old believers ought to be sharing their faith, excited about living out their faith, and these new Christians were just like that. And persecution came and drove them out of their, they lost their homes, they lost their businesses, they lost their livelihood, they lost their town, their beloved city of Jerusalem because they had to run for their lives because they were losing their very lives. And so James is saying, in the middle of that kind of darkness, you got to know how to live. And so he writes in this letter that we have been studying. Two weeks ago, we talked about the conflict that we're in the middle of. And we talked about the antidote. Remember, the antidote for conflict is humility. We gave you this that you ought to write down again. Humility is a fire extinguisher to the flames of conflict. And I just need you to know that I must constantly, Phil Byers must constantly keep that truth before me as I approach all that is before us as a nation, before us as a people, and before us as a church in how we function in the middle of it all. Because we are in the middle of a national political crisis, and we are in the middle of a global health crisis. America is in trouble. Amen. Our world is in trouble. Therefore, we are in trouble. And if we aren't careful, I'm talking about we, the church, if we aren't careful, we, the church, will be taken captive by fear and confusion and deception. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves being swept away with everyone else into the raging waters of conflict and division. 
And I just want to remind you that at the very heart of Jesus, before he went to the cross, the last thing in his prayer to his father was, Father, make them one, just like you and I are one. Make them perfectly one so that the world will know that you sent me. And we, my friends, cannot allow all that is happening and all the conflict and confusion in our world come in and bring conflict and confusion in the church. We have to do everything we can to stop it. One author wrote this that I read this week. From sea to shining sea, we are witnessing the devolution of a nation. The United States is quickly becoming the divided states. I mean, we may be producing a vaccine at warp speed, but I believe that simultaneously all around us, things are unraveling at warp speed like I've never seen it before in my lifetime. I read another major religious leader who wrote this to the president about four weeks ago. He wrote, the fate of the whole world is being threatened by a global conspiracy against God and humanity. Now he did not write a, a national conspiracy against God. He said a global conspiracy against God and humanity. The forces of evil have aligned in battle without quarter against the forces of good. These forces of evil appear to be powerful and organized as they oppose the children of light. Daily we sense the attacks multiplying of those who want to destroy the very basis of society. The natural family, respect for the sanctity of human life, love for our countrymen, freedom of education, freedom to prosper, and our freedom to worship. No one up until last February would have ever dreamed that our cities and citizens would be threatened, fined, shamed, or arrested simply for wanting to take a walk down the street, take a walk on the beach, play in the park, go to school, keep their businesses open, or go to church on Sunday. But right now, it's happening all over the world. The enemies of our freedom have Satan on their side, but not just on their side, out in the lead. I don't know if it's amazing to you, but it's amazing to me to see how this pandemic is gathering the world together and chaos is everywhere. That's not coincidental because I'm not a conspiracy theorist and so I think all the leaders of the world have gotten together and decided this is how it's going to be. I'm not denying that people are getting sick and this thing is real. It is real and people are getting sick.
I believe that we are in a worldwide battle between fear and truth. See, the crazy thing is, this thing is real, but we still don't know the truth about it. We still have people, really good people, really good experts on every side telling us opposite things. How are we supposed to live when there is a vacuum of truth? But I want you to hear that fear, which is a real thing right now, fear can only live in an environment void of truth. That's the problem, right? I mean, that's where we are right now. Who can we believe? What can we believe? Who are we supposed to listen to? I mean, people in their own departments who are trying to lead us can't even agree on what we ought to be doing. And so therefore, we are confused and don't know what to do, and that just causes fear. There's a good question. What is truth? You know, Pilate, 2,000 years ago, Pilate asked Jesus that. Do you know that? What is truth? Crazy thing was, he didn't even know who he was talking to when he asked that question. I mean, I could just see Jesus like, seriously? You're going to ask me that question? <laughs> what is truth, Pilate says. In other words, can anybody know truth? And Jesus' response was this, um, Pilate Just so you know, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth, to actually bring the truth to light in this world. And everyone on the side of truth will listen to who? Come on, listen to who? To me. Because see, Jesus went on to say, I am the way, the and the life. You want to find truth, you've got to come to me. The scriptures teach us that God's word, this Bible, what we have is his word and his word is truth, the scripture says. In fact, it goes on to say that the entirety of his word is truth and will last forever. And what we know by studying this is that there is, this is the origination of truth. Jesus is the truth. And he is the word of God. There is no truth outside of God and his word. I don't care what anybody says. Hey, I got a new thing. No, you don't. And if it's truth, it comes and it it starts here. There is no truth outside of God and his word. We possess the truth inside of us in the form of the Holy Spirit, my friends. I don't know if you know that or not. But you ought to rejoice in that, that you've got the Holy Spirit on a regular basis speaking truth into your heart. He bears witness of the truth in us as children of God. The age-old question, what is truth, was all the way back to Adam and Eve. Back in the Garden of Eden, Eve says to the serpent, who was Satan, by the way, Um, hey, Mr. Serpent, God said if I eat from that tree, I will die. You remember what Satan said? 
No, you won't. You're not going to die. God knows that when you eat from it, you will be like him and will know the truth. He used the word truth in his lie about the truth, and because she believed the lie, we now have sin and sickness and darkness and death to deal with as humans. And I hate it. I hate it that we've got brothers and sisters. I hate it that people are sick right now. We're hearing about it too much all the time. I hate it that people are dying right now. And can I, I just want to pause. We just need to pray for our two families in our church that are really suffering right now. Um, the Showalter family. Um, Gary went to be with the Lord this week, and we need to pray for Mary and the whole family. He's been wrestling with sickness and pain. And I was talking to Mary, and I just, we were rejoicing. You know, it's hard for us to lose our loved ones, but because of the power of God Almighty and the Lord Jesus Christ's, Christ's sacrifice, our brother Gary is in heaven right now. And he's not in pain. He's, if you know Gary, you know how much he was suffering. He's not suffering anymore. And our brother, our brother Ed now, who sits right there every week, was crossing the street in Union this week. Crossing Highway 12, walking his dog, and somebody hit him and killed him. And uh, thank God he's in heaven right now. So why the tears, Phil? It's because my heart breaks because this is not what's supposed to happen. This is not what our world is supposed to be like. He did not create the world and put people into the world for there to be sickness and pain and death and heartache. We aren't designed for this, my friends. We're designed for life. And to live in truth. But because of the lie. There is death. And there is sickness. And there is corruption. And there is chaos. All around us. Even so come Lord Jesus. And yet I feel so selfish saying that. Because if the minute Jesus comes. Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people will go into a Christless eternity. Marie Curie, I read uh, about her, the first woman to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in physics, is credited with this statement Nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. 
Now let me tell you something, she's probably talking about we need to understand physics more and that will help us fear less, okay? But I'm, I, I'm bringing that into our realm right here. Now, more than ever, now my friends, my brothers and sisters, is the time to understand the truth more so that we may, as believers in Jesus Christ, children of the most high God, fear less. Jesus also said, if you will hold my teaching, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Give me one second so I can blow my nose, okay? Sometimes I watch my sermon afterwards and I'll watch myself do this. <laughs> and I'll say to myself, did you really just wipe your nose and do this on your pen? So I'm trying to be mindful of that. <laughs> uh, boy, do we ever have questions right now, right? Um, questions that need to be answered. I was musing on that and came up with this list. Um, who's going to occupy the White House in January? That's a great question. Um, when will we know? How about this one? When will this virus and health crisis be over? I'd love to know that. This is the big one. Will we ever, ever get back to a normal life? Well, I have bad news for you. <laughs> I don't have answers to those questions. Um, I can't answer those for you, but I, I want to answer a question and a series of questions that have been coming our way, and this is a very unusual type of sermon. It'll get more sermon-like at the end, okay? But right now, we're, I'm just going to go into answering a couple of questions that are commonly being asked and asked of me at multiple levels from you, and so I thought it, it was necessary to answer them. Here's the first one. What is the role of the pastor of a church? What is the role of a leadership, ministry leadership team of a church in the middle of a national political crisis and a global health crisis? What is the role of the pastor? I'm glad you asked. Um, here's the answer, okay? Are you all right? All right, this is where it might get a little uncomfortable. <clears throat> it's not my job. It's not my calling and it's not my place as a pastor of a church to spend all of my time in my office rifling through reams and reams of laws and data and everything in order to interpret all of that and bring it to you in the middle of this crazy, confusing, messed up time that we're in so that you know how to live as a citizen out there in the middle of all of it and me tell you what this is all saying. Okay? That's not my job. That's not my calling. I'm not even equipped to do that for you. Part one. Part two. It's not my job. It's not my calling. It's not the job of the elder council. It's not the job of the deacon council to interpret or 
enforce. Now, those are two, two very important words. It's not our job to interpret or to enforce mandates, executive orders, and laws imposed by those in authority over the citizens of Elkhart County. Never has been, never will be. That's why we don't stand at the entrance of the property, the church entrance every Sunday with a radar gun, making sure that everybody is obeying the law and going 45, 45 on the four-lane County Road 17, and you're wearing your seatbelt and not texting on the way to church. And some of you need to repent right now. Those are laws and mandates imposed upon us as citizens of Elkhart County, but it is not the church's job to stand there and, and like penalize you if you're not doing what you're told to do. That's not our job. Never has been, never will be. So what is your job, Phil? Do you have a job, Phil? Yes, I do. I'm glad you asked. Our job, our place, our calling is to interpret the scriptures for you. To spend all of our time, the elders especially, to spend all of our time in prayer and the study of the word to be able to bring God's word, the word of truth, and help you understand it to a point where you can apply it so that you can live it out in the world and make a difference for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's our job to equip believers, you, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, to love God, love people, and therefore penetrate our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Period. See, that's where I get in trouble with my personality. Because I always feel like I have to do that kind of thing, like, period. Do you get it? <laughs> but that's the way it is. Many have asked, what is the church's official position? This is what I get. What is the church's official position if and when they take our county to the red status. Well, guess what? They took our county to the red status. But the answer to that question is, here's our official position. Go out there with the love of God and the love of your fellow man, having fastened on your belt of truth, and use these crazy, confusing, upsetting times as a platform to influence our community with the gospel of peace on your lips. That's what we're all about. That's the official position of the church. That hopefully, during our peace time, we have equipped you to be able to go out and serve and even do battle sometimes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ during war, during the conflict. Hopefully, we've equipped you over time to be able to go out and live a strong life for the Lord right now in the middle of all that's going on. If we're doing our job, that's what should be happening. We're not supposed to live in fear. 
and hold up somewhere in our basement in times like this? Here's a question. Are we going to close the church? No, we are not. We are going to continue to gather the church in person and online in order to equip you to love God, love people, and penetrate our world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're all about. Already done that. Doesn't work. Not doing it again. Are we going to limit our attendance to 25 people? No, we are not. Now listen to me. We have not been asked to do that. Many of you are thinking that we have because you haven't spent the time, like I shouldn't have had to, (laughs) but you haven't spent the time reading all of the pages of everything that has just come down, but there is no request for the church. There is no mandate for the churches to limit their people, okay? So we are not part of that. In fact, um, Dr. Mertz, our health officer, in her new health order, I'm reading this, specifies that these new directives do not apply, quote, unquote, single household living units or religious services. These things that she put out do not apply to single household units and religious services. Therefore, and I've checked this out, I've gotten counsel on this, therefore we are still under the governor's standing mandates that do not limit the church's gatherings because we are supposed to social distance and make it available for people. So we're still underneath the original mandate from the governor right now. So no, we are not going to limit our attendance to 25 people. Now, everybody take a deep breath, okay? Because I feel like you're all tight right now. So everybody take a deep breath. Um, Here's what we are gonna do. In an attempt to do our part to align with the desires of our local health officers to, quote, prevent additional hospitalizations and deaths before we reach a crisis point, which is why the foundation for why they have come out with the new mandates. In our attempt to do our part, our church leadership, and when I say that, I'm talking about the elder council and the deacon councils have come together and we are unanimously in favor of this new move. And we have made the decision to suspend all of our small group gatherings Um, starting November 25th, which is this Wednesday, through the holiday gathering season and end it January 10th. So what that means is that life groups, lay-led ministries, um, it includes our children and youth ministries on Sunday nights. We are still going to have children's ministry happening on Sunday mornings, just like we are right now, but we're suspending those Sunday nights clubs and meetings. Um, We've canceled the teen freeze out, the the snow camp that we normally do, and our annual Christmas party. Now, um, we've made that decision not because we think it is best, but because we think it is right. Here's what I mean by that. I personally, and many of us believe this, we don't think it's best to close down our small groups because you've heard this said, on both sides of the aisle. We gotta be careful to not make the cure worse than the disease. And you guys, we're in danger with the shutdowns, the way that they're going. We're in danger 
of a lot of problems happening that are side effects to closing down that are gonna end up being worse than people getting sick with COVID. We're seeing it already in our church. And so it's a dangerous thing for us to suspend the places where we have our greatest care happening, where people can share what they're wrestling with, where people can, can lament over all that's going on with a small group of people. And so we're going to keep this time very short during the holiday season when a whole bunch of other small group gatherings are happening. This is what we believe to be the best thing right now, the right thing right now, um, during the holiday season in order to do our part to minimize the spread. So I don't know how you feel about that. We're very mixed about it. We just feel like that is the right thing to do right now, but I want you to know that we're going to be as soon as we can, as soon as it makes sense, we're gonna be coming right back because we believe all of the care and connection in this church happens in our small group gatherings. I mean, we love this, but you don't get intimate with people doing this. So, and we need each other especially right now. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be mindful of the, of the brothers and sisters around you. I want you to stay in contact with each other because we need each other. Those of you who are at home online, you need people. And so you need to help us help you. If, you, if there are needs, we need to know about them and we're gonna help each other. We're gonna, right? Right? Okay, so keep that in your mind. Here's another question. Are we making everybody wear a mask when they come into the building? No, we are not. Again, I've read through everything. We are still under the governor's mask mandate, which does not order churches to require masks in order for people to gather to worship. As long as we make available the, your ability to social distance, we do not have to require masks. This is a very hot topic with a lot of opinions around it. But I have done a lot of research, I've asked a lot of questions, and what I just told you is, is what I believe to be the truth about the mask thing. And I want you to just hear me that from the very beginning of this, we have declared to you with all transparency and in all humility that no matter what we do, we cannot make decisions and create a worship gathering environment that will guarantee, first of all, your comfort, but also your safety. No matter what we do, we cannot guarantee you will not contact COVID at church. Even though we don't know that anybody has contacted COVID. We have lots of people that have tested positive and who have gotten sick, but we don't have one person that's traced it back to I got it in church. Praise God for that. But we, no matter what we do, we cannot, in, in, we cannot guarantee your safety and we cannot guarantee your comfort. We believe that those decisions are best made by you. We respect your freedom as adults to choose your approach to our worship experience. And we've been that from the very beginning. You've heard me say that over and over again and we still believe that. If you wanna stay home, stay home. If you should stay home, stay home. If you're in the, in the, in the most vulnerable, vulnerable category, what are you doing coming to a big group gathering? It doesn't make any sense with what we know. You need to know right now, those of you who are joining us, 
that about 30 to 35% of our normal congregation have not come back to church. But there's about 70% of us, on average, 65 to 70% of us that are gathering here. If you need to stay home, continue to stay home, that's why we're doing the best we can. That's why the people, you guys online, the people in here have to like sit around and look around cameras because we've got them close up so that you get the best environment in your home as possible so that you can worship with us just like you're sitting here. We're gonna continue with that. If you want to come to the building, great. We've created a safe and clean place for you and your family to worship. But if you're still nervous when you come here and you don't like the big crowd in here, we have other options. We've got a balcony where you can spread out. We've got a loft auditorium, our youth auditorium, that will seat like 200 people where there are people right now, people that want to spread out even more than what you can in here. If you want to come and you're nervous, come late and leave early. We're giving you all kinds. You see what we're doing. We're giving you all kinds of opportunities. You want to wear a mask and feel safer wearing a mask? Please wear a mask. No one is going to shame you for wearing your mask. And if they do, grab them by the neck. <laughs> Just kidding. Not really. This is what say to them, say, I'm going and telling Pastor Phil. Come on, people, we're not gonna do that, right? 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 We're not gonna make fun of people, we're not gonna shame people, but we're also not gonna shame on the other side of this mask thing either. If someone's wearing a mask, that's okay. In fact, I ought to wear mine when I, when I approach to talk. You know, if we're going to get within that six feet distance here thing here, we're going to have a talk, conversation. It would be, obviously, they probably want me to wear mine if they're wearing theirs, right? That's how we ought to be approaching this thing. You okay? I think you appreciate that we believe these decisions are things you want to make for yourself, not be made for you. Because I don't know, I cannot make enough rules and impose them on our church body that will make everybody comfortable and safe. I just can't. We can't. That's up to you. Well, Phil, aren't we being disobedient to our civil authorities? No, we are not. We have not been asked in any of the documentation, either by the governor or by Dr. Mertz, to police you in any of the new directives that have been given out. How you lead your family to respond to all that is being handed down is up to you. You are adults and are to be trusted to make decisions as to what is best for you and your family in light of all that's happening out there, and the church is not required to police that. Never been asked to do that. Okay. What do we do now? I love this part. What should we do? 
What does the blood-bought, born-again, Holy Spirit-energized church do in the middle of a local and global crisis? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Are we going to sit by and watch our culture fall apart? What's the answer? No. Are we going to sit back and watch the enemies of the souls of men rip the guts out of our nation and the guts out of this world? What's the answer? So where does the power to survive and the wisdom to live come from in this kind of age that we're living in for the child of God? What? It comes from the Bible, but it comes specifically from prayer. Really, Phil? Is that what you got? Listen to me. Like never before, we must pray for our nation and we must pray for our leaders. We must pray against the evil forces that are at work inside the church and outside the church. And we must pray for the church to rise up in power, in the power of the Holy Spirit that is living inside of us, shining the light of truth through us. Pastor Tony Evans wrote this that I read this week. The future of our culture is in the hands of Christians because the cause of our cultural demise is innately spiritual. If a problem is spiritual, its cure must be spiritual as well. If we Christians are going to help turn our nation to God, we must fall on our knees and our faces before God and pray. We must not only talk about prayer, but pray. Not only agree on the importance of prayer, but pray. Not only preach on the power of prayer, but pray. Billy Graham said this, to get our nation on its feet, we must get on our knees. Is that all you got, Phil? Yep. Yep. That's all I got. Let me ask you a question. What does God tell us to do when we need help? What does God tell us to do whenever we like have a financial need? Yeah. Remember Jesus talking about that? She's saying, what are you worried about the future for? About what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear? What's wrong with you? You have not because you ask not. Don't you know that your father in heaven, and by the way, God is your father. Don't you know that your father in heaven loves to give good gifts to his children? Don't you know that he actually knows the need that you have before you even come and ask for it? And if your father in heaven, think about this, is willing to feed the little birdies of the world, how much more important are you to him than those birds? You're his children. He sacrificed his son for you so that you can have eternal life. You think he's going to just leave you alone now? You come and ask. Your father loves to give good gifts to his children. Here's a question. What are you supposed to do when you're stressed out and worried? No, you're supposed to stop it. (laughs) That's what Jesus said. And that's what Paul said. Hey, what are you anxious about? What are you worried about? What are you stressed out about? First of all, it's like, knock it off. You guys need to stop that. But this this is what it is. 
bring it to the Lord. Because it's not good enough to just say, I'm not going to be worried. That doesn't work. But you can bring it to God. You can sing songs like we sang this morning that like lift our souls. I mean, I'm so pumped right now because just because of the songs we sang today. The mountains, the mountains shake before you. The demons run and flee at the mention of your name, King of Majesty, who, by the way, is my dad. What am I worried about? And the scriptures are clear. If you're worried, you're anxious, go to the Lord. You know, we're supposed to be all day today. We are supposed to be in James chapter 5 on the whole healing thing. But this is what James says in James 5.13. Are any of you suffering hardship? You should, what's the word, my friends? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. That's prayer. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and what? Pray over you. Anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. I'm so upset that I'm not going to be able to spend all day long on this passage right here because I want you to know that what's happening here and what James is talking about is real today. This is not something that was written back then and it is not real today. I have had the pleasure and privilege of sitting with other elders where people have come and said, Phil, I got this problem. I, I'm sick and the, the doctors have said, there's nothing you can do, we can do for you. Will you guys pray for us? I'm coming, I'm coming in the spirit of James chapter five. Will, will you pray over us? And we have prayed over them and we confess sin together because that's part of the whole thing. And we've anointed them with oil and prayed over them and we have seen people miraculously healed. We have seen other people healed over time but healed nonetheless. We have seen people where the doctor's like, huh, we can save you now, and they saved them. And we've seen other people find their ultimate healing where they walk into the presence of their Savior and never be sick again. But God is the God of healing, my friends. If you're sick, what are you supposed to do? Pray. If you lack wisdom, what are you supposed to do? You ask for it. <laughs> and God says, oh, you lack wisdom? Yeah, like I didn't know that. Here, I'll give you all you need. Look at this, verse 16 of James 5. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. See, in this passage, it talks about confessing your sin because sometimes our sin blocks our prayers because we have quenched the Holy Spirit of God. But if we are right with God and right with our fellow man, and if we are living righteously the way God wants us to live, and we go before God in prayer, what happens? Great power happens. And it produces amazing, wonderful results. The, the illustration is Elijah. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a human being. Even as we are, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. It did not rain on the land for three and a half years. That's a big deal. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced his crop. Where was the power for change? In Elijah? Come on, stay with me. We're almost done. Where was the power to change? It's in prayer. It wasn't in some superhuman thing where, you know, like pastors go around smacking people in the heads and like, I'm, I'm healed now. That's not, what, that's not healing. That's not happening today. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. But. The, 
It's not because Elijah had some crazy superhuman power in and of himself. The scripture's clear. James is clear. No, he was a human just like you and me. The power is when he hit his knees in prayer. That's where our power comes from. That's where our strength comes from. Just like you and me, he lived righteously before God. He prayed earnestly and God performed miracles through him. Here's prayer. Definition of prayer is an earthly request for heavenly intervention. My friend, prayer is a tool and a strategy that we have been given to pull something down out of the invisible and bring it into the visible. Prayer is our weapon against the forces of evil that are at work to destroy everything in our world that we hold dear. And don't think that they're not at work. They are active like they never have been before. Scripture's clear that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It seems like we do, but we don't. We are in a battle of good versus evil. We are in a battle against invisible spiritual forces and authorities that are at work all around us. And we're supposed to go to war against those spiritual forces and stand up against all that they are doing and the work that they're doing against our God and against his kingdom here on this earth. And our prayers are what we go to battle with. Our prayers are like spiritual javelins that we get to hurl at the enemy. We we pray against things like fear and doubt and confusion and wickedness and chaos and violence and hatred and murder. My friends, go to battle, pick one. Get out your prayer javelin and hurl it at those things because our prayers in the hand of righteous men and women are powerful and effective to bring down those strongholds. Listen to me. Satan has to flee when God's people hit their knees. He cannot stand in that presence. I love this. Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife, said this. Satan fears prayer because God hears prayer. Satan will stop at nothing to distract a person from praying or to get him to postpone praying or failing to do that to discourage him in his praying. And the reason he's willing to do that is because Satan knows the power of prayer and he knows that if he can stop God's people from praying, then we're powerless and he can go on doing whatever he wants. The way that we resist the devil is by praying against him and standing up against him. He has no power in our presence because we have the light and he is darkness. He knows the power of prayer. The question is, do we? (laughs) I don't think we do. Stand up, church of God. Come on. I'm going to breathe into you, okay, this truth. That we (laughs) are not worldly wussies. I'm not calling everybody out there a wussy. I'm just saying we're not, okay? We are kingdom warriors. We fear nothing on this plane because we are citizens of a higher plane. We are the most powerful people on the planet because we possess the power of the Holy Spirit of God inside of us, living inside of us. I've had people get upset with me because I say we're the most powerful people on the planet. I don't know why they get upset with me about that, especially if they're Christians. That ought to pump you up. 
that ought to get you changed and challenged and ready to go because I got the Holy Spirit of God inside of me and there's nothing that can stand against that. I mean, how awesome is that, my friends? That's who we are in Jesus Christ. Get a dose of it. Think about it. If you haven't thought about that, then let it sink in. We're all confused. We're all frustrated. We're all fearful. Some of us are angry, right? I mean, we, we don't know how to work our way through all of this. Good. That's the best place you can be. Because here's why. Are you listening? The scriptures say that his strength, God's strength, is made perfect in our weakness. Because when we're weak, he is strong. Because when we are weak, we go to God. We fall on our knees before him in prayer. And God goes, good, now I can go to work. We release something in the heavenlies when we pray. And the spirit goes to work on our behalf. I was talking to a guy just this week and I said, Brother, I I don't know how to talk to you about in the middle of your pain right now. I don't even know what to say. But here's what I know. I know that I'm gonna, I can go to my Father in heaven. And when I pray, the scripture tells me that in my weakness, the Holy Spirit of God says, that's okay, Phil. You don't know what to say, I do. And he begins to go before the Father on my behalf and pray and say, God, this is what he's saying, but this is what that brother he's praying for needs. And he prays according to the, man, this is, cranking me up. This is, I got like goosebumps all over my body right now because the Holy Spirit asks according to the will of the Father, the will of God. And so God's will will be done in my brother's life whether I know how to pray about it or not. Just because I prayed, sometimes I pray like this, God, I don't know what to say about this situation, but I'm praying, I'm being obedient, and I'm counting on you, coming good on your promise that your spirit's gonna pray on my behalf. My friends, Our power is in prayer. Prayer moves God's hand in history like nothing else has. And if we're going to turn our communities and our nation around, God's congregations all over the world are going to have to join in a unified worldwide assembly to repent, throw ourselves before the face of Almighty God, and seek his help. And I'll close with this hallmark passage in the Bible. When God calls a nation in crisis to pray, this is what he said. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and heal their land. God, our Father, in heaven please Lord convict our hearts with this truth call us to prayer we want to be obedient to all of this we want to be used we want to be vessels that you can use to change the world and to bring hope to the hopeless and bring truth to those who are lost. We have it. Use us. Get us to our knees. Convict us 
of our lack of prayer and our lack of faith in prayer, we surrender ourselves to your mighty hand. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. The mountain shake before you, the demons run and flee. At the mention of the name, King of Majesty, there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am, 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 the great I am. Hallelujah, holy, holy, God Almighty, the great I am, who is worthy, none beside thee, God. strength and in his power and in prayer. God bless you as you go.